Welcome, everyone, to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm Laura Deirda, an editor at Becker's Healthcare, and I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Brent Jackson, Chief Medical Officer of Mercy General Hospital in California. Dr. Jackson, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, thank you for having me on. The pleasure is all mine. Fantastic. Well, before we jump into the questions, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm currently serving as the Chief Medical Officer at Mercy General Hospital in Sacramento. Um, I've been in the role for about two years. Prior to that, I served here for a year as the physician advisor. Um, by training, I'm a general surgeon. I practiced for about 15 years before making the transition into hospital administration. And my why for doing so and what gets me up in the morning is trying to grease the skids for the people who are still in practice. Well, fantastic. I'm so um, glad to have you here today. My first question is, what are you seeing with COVID-19 and how have your strategies evolved from mitigating it? That's a great question. Um, you know, we first saw COVID-19 here back in March and we activ activated our hospital instant command center and started formulating mitigation strategies. You know, no one really knew anything about this virus at the beginning. And I think Anthony Fauci put it best when he said that navigating this pandemic is like flying a plane while you're building it. So you may recall that we had both PPE and testing resources. Um, both were scarce at the beginning of this um, pandemic, and we worked with what we had. Fortunately, the anticipated tidal wave of COVID-19 that we were anticipating never really came because California was quick to issue a shelter-at-home order. Our first surge is really more like a speed bump. But we knew the virus was not gone. Community spread was just being suppressed by the stay-at-home order. And like all hospitals in the nation, we ceased doing scheduled procedures. And like all other hospitals in the nation, this really adversely impacted our revenue stream. But the shelter at home order and the cessation of the procedures afforded us the opportunity to design and implement you know, some augmented hospital operations that would mitigate the risk of COVID-19. And strategies such as universal masking, physical distancing, and pre-procedure testing all proved to be very effective at keeping our staff safe as we um, ultimately ramped up to resume the full spectrum of services, both medical and procedural that we offer our community. We were able to work through our larger um, second surge that came following the July 4th holiday. And we are now in the middle of an even larger surge. I don't even know if we're in the middle of it because it's um, we keep breaking our county records every few days and the five day rolling average line has a fairly steep incline. But our processes are holding up and because of community exposures, Staffing continues to be a challenge for our hospitals. And finally, I would add that the California Department of Public Health recently issued an all facilities letter calling for us to test all patients admitted to the hospital and to the extent possible to test all those who work in the hospital. And obviously this will be a heavy lift to operationalize, but we're working on it. And like all of the facilities across the nation, we're preparing for the arrival of the vaccine and operationalizing how that will be received, stored and administered. It's been a busy year, but I work with a fantastic team, and it's quite rewarding to know that while we could never completely eliminate the risk of COVID-19, we have succeeded in making the hospital safer than a trip to the grocery store. <laughs> and that's an important thing in, in a big feat in its own this year. Yeah, I agree. It's been um, a challenge, but you know we just are grateful each day that we're COVID-free as individuals. Yes. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Now, obviously, in your role as a leader, you have to manage a medical staff who's been dealing with COVID-19 for months now and still having to treat patients who are coming in with severe symptoms of the virus. How are you managing those uh, anxieties of the medical staff during the pandemic? So thank you for that question, that, because that really kind of hits the nail on the head of where I've probably been able to have the greatest impact during this. And, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying that, in short, frequent communication has been key. And before the pandemic, I sent out a weekly newsletter every Friday. It was called Happy Friday Docs, and it was written in kind of a lighthearted, entertaining manner. The content historically included staff and physician recognitions, as well as brief newsworthy updates. Distribution goes out to over a thousand physicians and APPs, and the feedback I receive is that it's fairly well read. Once the pandemic began to hit the news, you know, we saw how Italy was rationing care. Then we saw how the virus impacted New York City. I would walk into the doctor's lounge um, to interact with some with uh, med staff who would be there. The news was always on. And I got a lot of questions about how we were preparing for this. It was very clear to me that anxiety was starting to build amongst the medical staff. And it dawned on me that our docs have families and busy practices, so they had little time to educate themselves about the pandemic. Their education was coming from these borderline hyperbolic news broadcasts. So on the administration side, regular meetings fell off our calendars so that we had time to prepare for the pandemic. And with more free time, I saw this as a perfect opportunity to educate myself about this virus from legitimate sources. You know, how contagious is it really? How does it actually spread? How can we truly mitigate our personal risk? What are the pros and cons of the various testing platforms? And most importantly, you know, what's going on in our local community? What's actually going on in Sacramento? I then used my Friday newsletter to provide a balanced, informative update about the virus, how we were preparing for it, and being really careful to write it in a tone of calm perspective. I talked up our docs, I talked up my team, I would dissect out misinformation, both from the media, as well as, unfortunately, from poor science that was evident in many of the preprints that were available. You know, you, you may remember that early on, information changed frequently. And accordingly, sometimes I would send out one or two updates per week in addition to my Friday newsletter. And I have to say, this approach really turned out to have served me well. I get about two or three emails per week from various members of our medical staff who thank me for the updates. I've even had a few who've written and said that their inbox is inundated with COVID-19 information and that my newsletters are the only thing they read. When talking to members of our medical staff, they thank our administrative team for all that we have done to mitigate the risk, and they truly feel safe working in our hospital. And I think that information flow was critical to achieving this level of calm. Well, that's fantastic, and obviously a, a great opportunity for you to really step up and make sure you're getting the right information to your team and, you know, making sure they're in a spot where they can provide the best care possible for your patients. So it's fantastic to hear and a great idea. Now, before we wrap up here, I was wondering if you could give us three more pieces of advice that you would give to emerging leaders, especially today in a situation where there's a lot of uncertainty. Sure. So, you know, this, having been a CMO for only two years, one year to the, prior to the pandemic, this was a steep learning curve for me. So I'll share what I learned. I'm a fairly green leader, but what I've learned is that leadership is really all about relationships. A leader needs to be influential, and without relationships, there is no ability to influence. 
Uh, so how does one develop those relationships? I found trust and credibility are key. And so how does one engender that trust and gain credibility? So I'd say number one, communicate frequently. Relationships grow with every interaction. Number two, be reliable, do what you promise. And if you can't fulfill a commitment, circle back and close the communication loop with transparency. The why goes a long way towards maintaining credibility. And then number three, I would say, listen to understand, not to reply. Be supportive. People don't care what you have to say until they feel heard. So those are the things that I've learned. And I would say in short that I believe a leader really needs to demonstrate that he or she cares. It's easy to trust someone who cares about you. Credibility and transparency will then only grow that trust. And with that trust, relationships will grow naturally and the ability to influence will follow. Well, Dr. Jackson, I think that was some great information and advice, really looking at relationships and how you can be influential among those who you're leading. Um, this has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to communicating with you again in the future.